All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from the Borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 27th day of September 2022. And I always like to thank you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show. Send them to questions for taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors because without them, we would have no show. This week's sponsors Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Reina Gold Mining, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show Is Inflation Turning Hyper? Bob Moriarty, Michael Oliver, and Quentin Henning are this week's guests. Alistair McLeod, uh, in his September 15th weekly essay, uh, it was titled, Inflation is Turning Hyper, suggesting that, in fact, the die is cast and there's very little, actually nothing, that can be done now to keep us from heading into a hyperinflationary event. Of course, the notion that the dollar could ever hyperinflate is nonsense to masses of Americans who have been trained to put their faith in a human god named the Federal Reserve rather than the creator of the entire universe. And indeed, so far, so far, this little god has kept has been able to keep inflation in check. Uh, well, we're having a little bit of it now, but nothing like a hyperinflation. And they've been able to do that for several decades, even since we've gone off the gold standard in 1971, except for the 1980s, which got really serious and was tamed by Paul Volcker's tight monetary policies then. But the Fed even has more recently cried about not having enough inflation, and they were suggesting that we should we should really shoot for at least a two percent or about about a two percent uh, level of inflation, as if they knew that they have, they're omniscient enough to know how much the interest rate should be. So they they actually believe that a little bit of inflation is a good thing. We've heard the Keynesians say that repeatedly. Well, as a 75-year-old man, I was a young person the last time we had that severe inflation back in the 1970s when Chairman Paul Volcker, well, he was named as a Federal Reserve chief by President Carter. He orchestrated a very harsh Republican unfriendly monetary policy, just as Ronald Reagan was taking the White House. That resulted in the deepest recession in the United States at that time since the Great Depression. Of course, since then, thanks to massive monetary stimulus, by the Fed, we've had booms and busts that have made the 1980s downturn look tame by comparison. But in any event, the Fed, led by Paul Volcker, was able to reverse an accelerating inflation problem 
and in so doing, pave the way for Americans to uh, put their financial houses in order and have a couple of decades of pretty good growth and, and prosperity. But the Fed, which is not supposed to be political, couldn't resist over those years the temptation to win friends in government by creating massive amounts of money, which, by the way, unlike a gold or silver-based monetary system, is manufactured with liabilities. Not an, It's not an asset-based uh, currency like gold or silver. So once gold was eliminated from money back in 1971, Debt to GDP in America began to explode such that it is now around 130% of GDP. That compares with just 35% when Paul Volcker slammed the monetary brakes on in the 1980s. Now with so much leverage in the global monetary system, the probability of a global financial collapse is much greater than at any time since the Great Depression. That is what makes the job of the current Federal Reserve so much more difficult than what Paul Volcker faced in 1980. The title of Alastair McLeod's September 15th essay was Inflation is Turning Hyper, as I noted, um, which may, again may seem like nonsense given the collapse in stock and bond prices of the past few weeks and a dollar that has been increasingly strong compared to the euro, the yen, and the pound. But I'm reminded of a conversation I had years ago with Congressman Ron Paul on this show when I was arguing with Ron that deflation was more of a threat than inflation, Ron observed that inflation and deflation are two sides of the same fiat monetary, uh, the fiat money code coin, the same side, two, two sides of the same fiat money coin. In other words, the threat of deflation results in an inflationary response. And since that discussion with Dr. Paul many years ago, the severity of both extremes has become ever greater, thanks to the insane and immoral issuance of trillions of dollars out of thin air by the god of money, the Federal Reserve. Well, Bob Moriarty will join me in the second half of today's show to discuss his views on inflation, deflation, and perhaps draw some comparisons with the German hyperinflationary event that led to the rise of Hitler. The events of that horrific episode of the 20th century history is outlined brilliantly in the book that Bob Moriarty was instrumental in having translated from German to English. The title of that book is The Monetary Revelation. Bob talked about it previously on the show, and we'll probably uh, be talking about that book some more in future episodes. Well, Quentin Henning is scheduled to provide an update uh, on the evolving gold exploration program in Japan, on which... Irving Resources is teaming up with Newmont Mining and Sumitomo to develop. Now, I would suggest that if you are an investor in junior gold exploration stocks, you may want to pay attention, especially now that the junior explorers have been hit extremely hard. You can buy them really uh, at fire sale prices, no doubt about it. And some really good companies making great progress towards establishing large gold and silver uh, deposits in the ground. So Quentin Henning will be with me right after our first commercial break, but right now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is here once again. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to check into Michael's excellent service, uh, and uh, really you should consider subscribing. Thank you for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's really good to have you. Uh, I have been following your work now for a number of years, Michael, and I have seen how many times, time and time again, Price chart technicians would have me, they would have had me selling out of gold just before it was ready to take off. And your momentum work and structural analysis, momentum and structural analysis has really kept me in gold without being triggered in and out at, at the wrong times. Can you talk a bit about how you came to devise your, your proprietary model and perhaps give us some examples of how well 
it has worked at some key turning points over the last number of years, perhaps dating all the way back to 1967, which is when I think you uh, you created this model. Well, yeah, I was a futures broker starting in 1975 with E.F. Hutton in New York, the headquarters <coughs> commodity division. That's when gold was legalized. Uh-huh. Was just yep. literally several blocks away from the Hutton building. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I stayed as a futures broker up through 1992. But in 1987, uh, I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona at the time. Uh, I had a bunch of clients, and then I was doing uh, analysis of momentum in, sort of in a primitive way at that time, rather than looking at price charts, which is the way I'd been educated about technical analysis, is, you know, uh-huh. plot price charts and trend lines and stuff. I did the same thing, but I did it with momentum charts, meaning mm-hmm. I would plot the bar, the high-low close of a month, let's say, and plot it in relation to a moving average, meaning how much above it or how much below it. So I create an oscillator. Mm-hmm. Not just simply overlay a, a moving average on a price chart. Every any idiot can do that, and it doesn't mean too much. But when you do it, when you create an oscillator of the price action related to a moving average, you end up with a different picture. Quite often, uh, especially if you're looking at longer term stuff, it's significant because in 1987 we were having a nice run up in the market. Market uh, stalled in the spring and summer of 87, like it was trying to top, and then it burst to a new high in August. Like, oh boy, I just broke out. In fact, it was a replica of 1929, in fact. Uh, And then in September, it started to slip. And then a new quarter turned around, because the fourth quarter started in October. Well, when I calculated my three-quarter moving average momentum chart, meaning plotting each monthly bar in relation to the three-quarter average, which is sort of like a 200-day, okay, Try not to confuse you here. <laughs> but when I look, you look at a price chart, it was just an upward curving arc. You know, you could hard, hardly draw a, a valid trend line on it. It was hard to define. It was so strong. But when you plotted a momentum chart, you could go back a couple of years, and you would see both, an, one, an uptrend line that was highly well-developed, and a flat floor on the oscillator that came through at the three-quarter average such that in about the first or so week, first week or so of October, 87, you broke those structures. Now, when you looked at price at that time, eh, no big deal. It was having a pullback. In fact, it looked like it was pulling back to support, but momentum said, you're dead. Well, I put on put positions for myself, and I urged my clients, and they did too, and we caught the crash. Okay, it didn't take long. It took like a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, huge event, 35% about a week. Yeah. Uh, and um, now I didn't, I, I didn't have a lot of money back then, nor did I have a huge position. So I, I made a huge percent gain, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't change my life. But it, it mm-hmm. changed my life in a way that I said, hey, I got to do more work on this. You know, I've got to develop this. And by 1992, I developed basically all the tools I thought I could derive from this methodology. And uh, lo and behold, I got institutional clients who were eager for the research from that. Mm-hmm. We branched out to retail subscribers in 2016, I think it was. But prior to that, it had always been institutional. Uh, and our methodology basically has stayed the same since 1992. Mm-hmm. A few new additions, it's just a matter of the markets changing, you know. Uh, and there's a problem with the recent gold drop in terms of our being able to be long-term bearish, like so many people are, think it's going right, to collapse right. off the page and all this. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're looking at a price chart. 
And they think, oh, this is just like the 2011, 2012 top. In 2013, you crashed and you went, you know, went to hell. Okay. Uh, the price charts may look the same, but momentum does not. Uh, and we put out a report uh, this past weekend dealing with that big issue. It's quite laborious report, <laughs> very wordy on our part. Normally, we're more full of charts. And anyway, what I tried to explain was why can't MSA be long-term bearish or gold? And that report mm-hmm. deals with that issue. Mm-hmm. And rather than going into it right now, I suggest that anybody who might be interested go to our website, OliverMSA.com, and click on Contact, and you'll see my lovely picture there. Uh, <laughs> below it is my email address. Send me an email, and I'll send you that report. It's quite long, but it does explain our methodology and why we could be bearish in gold three months off the high in 2012 and stay bearish, turn bullish two months off the low in 2016, and yet here we are two and a half, two years plus off the high, and now everybody wants to get bearish uh-huh. or not. Yes, the intermediate trend is negative. There's no question about that, meaning since March, for example, it's now six months of, you know, with down, 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 down. Um, but the long, long-term trend is not, and we cannot join in the chorus of people who think gold's just going to fall apart here and it's no good and it's going to join the stock market, et cetera, et cetera. We don't think so. Uh, our technicals argue something quite the contrary, and I think this report deals with that and it might be of interest to your, to your listeners. Well, that's very generous anyway. of you, Michael. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this. OliverMSA.com. Uh, click on the contact page and then um, your, your email address and send an email to you. And request this uh, this chart. Or, or, I'm sorry, this uh, report, your weekend report, that is uh, dated. I think that was on Sunday, right? It was uh, so yeah, the date. Sunday. Yep. And yeah, right. It's uh, it's lengthy, and uh, so you know, be prepared to sit down and read, and and a lot of charts to go with it to explain it. But anyway, so we're not MSA, unlike so many even technical reports, which have now shifted negative. Why? But are they negative? Because you made a low in March of 2021 at 1670 and change. Mm-hmm. You rallied. You came back down in August of 2021, made a low in the 1670s, and rallied. You mm-hmm. came back down in July of this year into in the high 1600s and rallied. And now, last week, you finally broke through those three very obvious prior lows. Right. So it's got to, you know, it's got to be a collapse, right? Well, right. we argue not. I think well, it's more pro- likely will be like October of 2008 where gold very briefly participated with the stock market and then turned around and exploded. I think now, Michael, if you, we are. if you saw a similar pattern in your uh, momentum charts, then you would be bearish, probably. Yes, I would, uh, but uh, don't have that situation. There's too many attributes of the current decline that say, no, do not trust it to sustain. Mm-hmm. And, All right. Well, that was uh, so, so that, you know, that was then. What are you seeing now then? You're, I, I guess what you're seeing is uh, the potential you just said, uh, something closer to 2008, potentially. Yeah, I uh, think it's more likely to turn out like 2008. In fact, if you, uh, we have the price chart of what happened in 2008 mm-hmm. in October, where gold had a crashed-like event in sympathy mm-hmm. with the stock market. But right. It only lasted a month, and then it totally divorced and exploded. Was back I remember to its highs it well. Within, yeah, it was back to its highs within three months, and then proceeded to go from below at 670 to 1900 by 2011. And meanwhile, the stock market continued down after that October 
2008 sell-off until March of 2009, while gold mm-hmm. was making new highs. Absolutely. And two, took three years to get back to its high for the right. stock market. Rem- so it, gold yeah, is different. I- and. Yeah, I remember it well. Now, um, I know my engineer is telling us our time is up, but I want to ask you one more thing here. Uh, this morning, in the morning note, Art Cashin wrote, and I quote, the, uh, This afternoon should be of interest. Keep your eyes on the yields. The question is, should we punch through above 3.77% on the 10-year, which could that would put pressure on things or more down uh, to 37 which might help the bulls? But the game is uh, on the table, and I was just looking at the uh, – we're close to 4% now. I mean, it's 3.95 or something like that, the last I checked today, on the 10-year. What are you seeing in the 10-year uh, – let's say you look at the long bond. What, what are you well, seeing we, for we long-term? At, we look at all, all kinds of scales, uh, TLT, which is an ETF yeah. of 20-year-plus, uh, uh-huh. 30-year uh-huh. bonds. Uh, down, down, down. Uh, I think there's more to go in this particular decline, meaning higher rise in yields in this particular – route in the bond market. Mm-hmm. Also, there are going to be consequences. I'm talking mm-hmm. fundamental headline type consequences. Uh, probably a lot of it showed up in the financial sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the strong dollar, which uh, I think they are probably starting to intervene. It's my suspicion, mm-hmm. given the, what's happened over the last few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's becoming a crisis situation uh, in terms of financial stability, and I'm not just talking about emerging market countries. We're now talking about the U.K. with the British pound, the mm-hmm. euro, and the yen. Uh, we're getting some chaos there. Now, you can say, well, that's bearish for gold. Well, the correlation, and this is uh, something we dealt with in that report as well, between the dollar index and gold uh, is sometimes good and sometimes totally bad. Right now, right. it's inverse. There's no question. But we suspect that this dollar upside is about to peak, and I don't trust it to sustain. And if it doesn't, its downturn will be rapid. Mm -hmm. That may be part consequence of intervention. I'm not sure. But uh, I think gold sniffs that out, and it knows that ultimately when all this swirling is going on in all the financial markets negatively, uh, it is the ultimate benefactor. Well, of course, you know, you've talked many times in this show about two places to go when the equity markets get hammered really hard would be uh, the treasuries and gold. But treasuries mm-hmm. off the table now. If, if we're in this Absolutely. massive bear market yeah. in treasuries, yeah. people are going to – I mean, actually, people in the in the bond market have been hit harder than the, in the equity market so far this year. No, and the muni bond market is in disastrous shape, and I suspect that's going to create a real problem, especially when you get into the tax year next year where revenues <clears> – <throat> there's no more capital gains, period, folks. It's over. Take that and I, haircut right off the tax revenue of the federal, state, and local governments. You're mm-hmm. going to have uh, problems with city governments and state governments funding themselves, not yeah. to mention pension funds. So the central bank's got a real problem that they help prick by pricking that bubble. And the bubble they pricked is, is the inflation of the paper assets. Yeah, well, they, they created it. From, you know, they created a bubble and they pricked it. And, and they, they thought yep. they were stopping commodity inflation. What they did is they stopped paper asset inflation. Yeah. Uh, quite a yeah. dangerous event. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. And I have to think that high yield debt is in big trouble even even more so, or it should be yeah. one of the leaders down, I would think, and probably shorting some of those if there's, a, if there's some... There's uh, no place to hide. See, that's the no, problem no place portfolio managers. They, they used to be able to hide in, in the credit market, and now you know, they're getting killed. <laughs> so. Right, right, right. 
So ultimately, gold should be the beneficiary of this. And, and of course, there's all kinds of things going on geopolitically. Only God knows what's go- how that's going to all work out. But, Michael, I want to thank you once again. Always great to have you. It's so important. And we thank you very much for, for spending time thank with you, us. Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning will be here to talk about Irving Resources. Very exciting story. Well, I don't know. I don't think the markets are very excited about it these days, but I think you should be. You might want to be if you're an investor in gold mining shares. So don't go away. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us when we return. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Henning with me today. He's taking a break from his extremely busy schedule to join me, uh, this time to give us an update on Irving Resources. That's a Canadian-based junior gold exploration company that is focused on low-sulfidation epithermal silica-hosted gold deposits in Japan. It has, as major shareholders, companies, big, big companies like Newmont Mining and Sumitomo Corporation, and management owns around 10% of the company. So with less than 65 million shares outstanding, the number of shares available in the market is quite limited, and I would suggest that uh, in days at least when people care about gold mining stocks, this uh, this company will, on some good news, could rise, its share price could rise very rapidly uh, given the tight uh, tight share flow situation. Irving trades uh, in Toronto. IRV is a symbol. You can buy it down here in the States as I have under the symbol IRVRF. There's 64.6 million shares outstanding. That's after a recent 2.6 million investment from Sumitomo. Uh, recent share price is around 57 cents in U.S. money, giving it a market cap of a mere $35 million in U.S. funds, which uh, is Kind of crazy in my way of thinking, given the fact that I've been following this company for some time. Um, and uh, yes, there have been some uh, some slowdowns due to COVID and other issues, but uh, the, um, the it's just a very promising story. And so I'm really glad to have Quentin here uh, to update us on this. Thank thank you very much for joining us, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, the last time that you and I talked was back on June 7th, and the last time we talked about Irving Resources was on June 7th, and uh, that day, Irving announced that it has purchased its own diamond drills, and uh, it's my understanding they have arrived in Japan. How, how is that working out? 
Yeah, we did. We we made the bold move to purchase our own drills uh, and really take charge of our own destiny in, in many ways. So we've we've got uh, two drills in place now. In fact, they're drilling it at Hokuria, which is a target up in the hills uh, at the Omu uh, project. Uh, this is the project up in Hokkaido. We're trying to get some holes in before winter time. You know, uh, what are we, late, late September here? We've probably got about two good months of drilling. We're going to try to get some, some more holes in to follow up on some uh, good intercepts that we had and announced earlier this year. But uh, the, the, you know, the path forward here is, is starting to, to become clear because we found drillers. We're finding more drillers. Um, I think we'll have uh, a, a sharp turnaround in our production of drilling and so forth uh, going forward. It's it's really been a slog through COVID, trying to get people in and out with the visa situation and all. But now uh, things are lightening up. In fact, uh, we heard here recently that Japan is likely going to lift all visa restrictions as far as, you know, the, the uh, delays in issuing visas and kind of onerous process they had. They're going to lift that here shortly, I believe, by the end of this month. And, and things should lighten up again dramatically. I, you know, I plan to go to Japan again for the first time here, uh, sometime latter part of this year as well, you know, which would be a great, great relief to me. I, you know, it's been, I miss Japan dearly and I, I love the place and I certainly love what we're doing over there. So I'm anxious to get back and see, see everything, but things are, are improving. Uh, we got two drills moving at the moment. We do have plans to keep those drills occupied. Uh, even through the winter month, we're once done at Hokuria, we're going to move them down. Uh, at least one of them will drill at, at Omui, uh, perhaps another. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we might have another operating at Omui Center to follow up on some, you know, some results we had there about mm, a little over a year ago. So lots coming. Uh, we also have work underway at Yamagano in preparation for drilling. That'll probably be early next year. One of the drills that we've, we purchased will likely, uh, Find a home, find its home in Kyushu, which is a southern island, and that drill will be assigned to drill at Yamagata. So we've kind of set the stage for drilling more aggressively at all our projects, and uh, we're we're starting to build up the team and crew to to do so. Oh boy, I can't wait uh, because you've had some really exciting developments, even with the limited amount of work that you've done so far. Uh, maybe you just comment briefly on a, a couple of really attractive drill holes on, announced on July 7th at Omui Mine Site. I guess um, it was 8.58 meters, grading 7.39 grams per ton gold, um, and I think that was over a an estimated true width of six meters. So pretty pretty good number. What can you tell us? Uh, you learned from those two drill holes that were announced that day. Yeah, so those two holes, uh, let me uh, recap where they were drilled and what the hole targeting was. Okay, so the two holes that were announced uh, a couple of months ago were actually from Omui Mine Site. They're in an area where we were targeting uh, a humpy vein extension on the west end, and both of them hit nice broad intercepts of, of mineralization. So we were very pleased with that. As you said, um, the first hole hit 7.4 gram gold plus 10 grams silver, about 8.6 meters. Uh, the second hole, which crisscrossed it from the, the opposite direction, hit 9.6 grams per ton gold, 63 grams silver over 0. 0.7 uh, meters, but it was within, uh, a, or sorry, it was followed by a second intercept 
of uh, 13.75 gram per ton gold, 23.1 gram silver over 1.1 meters, and then a third intercept, yet another intercept of 12.5 gram per ton gold, 8.34 gram per ton silver over one meter. So um, in all, both holes hit the target. They're showing there's very high-grade vein uh, in the west part of the Humpy area. And that was that, that gives us a great deal of comfort that we have a lot, lot more vein to chase there. I think we're going to see that thing expand dramatically. Now, we did not get the third hole drilled, which was going to target the deeper part of that system. Recall earlier this year, I talked about the, um, you know, the concept that well, because we hit center way down in in the subsurface below the areas that we drilled, uh, the, it's clearly uh, a secondary system that's earlier than the one that we've been drilling at surface, and this this lower system is a main part of our target coming up. We were planning on drilling. Uh, holes three and four last spring, but what happened was we got COVID across our camp and basically had to shut down operations around uh, mid-March, I believe it was. So we were out for about five or six weeks. Uh, holidays came around in early May in Japan. They have the, what they call Golden Week, and um, because it was also mud season, we simply did not get the, pro- the holes drilled. And we focus instead, focus our time and effort into getting the new drills into to Japan and, and making our whole program turn around here. So um, we have not drilled that deeper target yet, but that is going to be a main focus for us, uh, spring or winter and spring drill program after we're done at Hokuria. We're going to move drills down to Omui, and we will tar- target that area. Yeah, I know when you first talked about it on the show, you called it a game changer. Maybe take a quick minute just to explain why it's uh, so significant, potentially. Certainly. Look, uh, everything we've drilled today at Omui has been up in the more shallow level. We'll call it within, say, two or 300 meters of surface. And we've hit some very high-grade veins, just like the ones I, I listed earlier. But we we found the center. What does that mean? So. Uh, one of our holes last year, as we were drilling it, we got into uh, these intervals of, of a few meters each of silica center, which is hot spring material. So it's basically, uh, you, you can think of it as the material that's laid down by hot waters as they come out of ground, out of ground into pools and lakes. And they tell you that there's a system below. Okay, so what this this center package that we found is basically a buried center field that predates the shallow level system, right? So uh, one of the more interesting things about that center system was some of those centers had very high gold. In fact, there were there was one bed in there in particular that ran about three grams gold, which for a center is quite unusual. You usually don't see uh, the, the gold elevated in that part of the system. It's usually meters below, the veins below. So we want to target what we think is the structural feeder for that lower sensor system. It is down a ways. Okay, it's probably down there about 300 meters and change before we get to the top of it. But we do have a pretty concrete idea of where it is. We think it's below the humpy area. And we want to, to poke a few holes down there and test it. The reason being is this thing could be a, a game changer, like I've said. Uh, it could be akin to like Furta del Norte in, in um, uh, Ecuador. It's a blind system that had a buried center over the top of it and had a very high-grade feeder underneath. 
So we do think there's a lot of uh, similarities between those two. We're quite anxious to get a, a hold down and test that regime. Uh, these new drills uh, have plenty of capacity to do so. We've got a good drill crew in place as well now, so we, we should be able to test that uh, coming up after we're done drilling the holes at Oak Korea. All right. Are, are there uh, drill holes, uh, assays weighted for drill holes yet that we can look forward yeah, we, to? We've been shipping samples. We've been drilling at Oak Korea. Uh, the first rig started about, I think, a month and a half ago, something like And some of those samples hit the lab in Vancouver uh, within the past few weeks. And then uh, the second rig just started up here recently, uh, and it'll be generating samples. So there are some assays in the queue. Don't know exactly when those are going to come through. I'm, I you know, w really hope this year would bring faster turnaround in the laboratory, uh, you know, the analytic field. But unfortunately, it's not proven the case. I do know they're at the lab, the first assays from um, the first hole at Hokuria. But we got to be patient and wait. And I'm sure as soon as, as, soon as they're ready, I'm sure uh, we'll have some numbers to put out for people. There were quite a few veins and stuff in, in that hole, so we're optimistic we'll see some numbers. Uh, for investors not familiar with this unique uh, economic model, uh, could you just take maybe a minute and explain that to people? Because I think it's very, it's really a very essential part of this story. Certainly. Look, uh, Japan is has a huge smelting industry. They they make base metals, okay, so copper, zinc, lead, and even other metals. And to do so, they put concentrates of those base metals into furnaces, but they need silica flux. Silica is basically quartz, okay, and they need silica to help soak up impurities out of the furnace while they're cooking everything. They also need it to insulate and keep the heat in. It has some properties that make it a very good um, you know, medium for, for smelting. Now, these rocks that we're drilling, these high-grade veins, are silica rich. They're basically quartz veins with gold and silver. So in Japan, the way they treat gold ores is they take these and they put them into the, the furnace alongside the copper concentrates or zinc concentrates, and they literally roast everything together. And that what that does is it releases the gold and silver to be collected alongside the base metals. And then they're recovered through electrolytic processes at the end of uh, the base metal refining. So it, it effectively is a, a totally different way of treating uh, gold ores. And what we are looking for is really a center mine. Now, if you think about it, we're trying to find silica-rich deposits that we can sell market to uh, con uh, to uh, smelters around Japan, and they pay very handsomely for the gold and silver credit. So silica flux on its own, it's about 30 bucks a ton. But when you throw in the gold and the silver, which they typically pay at 90% or greater, you get uh, an added kick there. So we're really a, a silica flux um, operator. Think of it that way, yeah. Huh, very interesting. All right, very good. Well, I just uh, you know, Sumitomo just came in with an investment, two point six million Canadian money, dollar uh, twenty three, and of course, Newmont has been there. They've recently put in some money. Maybe very quickly, what you know, you, I mean, a thirty five million dollar market cap. I think I said something like that right now in U.S. money. What would a Sumitomo, a giant like that company, or Newmont, see in your little baby company? Yeah, look, at Newmont fully understands the assets we have. They understand the very high quality of the ones in Hokkaido as well as 
Yamagano down in Kyushu. The, you know, Yamagano is the nearest project to Hishikari, which is the most famous gold mine in Japan. It has a lot of similarities. So Newmont sees a, a huge value in the assets we have, and uh, they have continued to top up and helped us fund this for about, I think, five straight years running now. So, and then Sumitomo, why, why are they uh, also involved? Well, uh, they are friend, very friendly with Newmont. They've had a long-term relation. But bear in mind that Sumitomo Corporation also has a big hand in the, the smelter industry. That's, that's their main line of business. Okay, so we, you know, they see a value in the product that we might derive from these discoveries, and they want to be involved at that level. So, so we've got very good partners who fully understand our, our ambitions and, and, and goals. Uh, Newmont was actually blown away by this whole smelter flux uh, concept, and that's part of the reason they're very excited about this is, they see, uh, you know, that this is an opportunity, this being Japan and these high-grade silica gold veins, as being an opportunity to, to pursue a whole different line in the gold in, industry. I mean, it's, it's truly a revolutionary business model for, for a big company like that. Absolutely. All right. Well, just in wrapping up, then, I guess people should just keep their eyes open for assays um, and just try to keep up with the story because I think at some point the markets are going to wake up not only to this little gold mining exploration company, but to a lot of others. And when they do, there may not be a whole lot of time to hop aboard, given the uh, the share structure that Irving has. It is uh, it is an interesting time, Jay. We got to get through this uh, Jerome Powell interest rate <laughs> <laughs> monotonous rise, but we'll we'll see the other side of it, and that's that's going to be good for all of us. Well, the money's made by uh, the smart investors when not too many other people are interested. So this might be a good time to start learning about Irving Resources. Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us again. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, well, don't go away because when we come back after the break, Bob Moriarty will be with us to hopefully opine on Alistair McLeod's proclamation that inflation is turning hyper. I sure hope that's not true, but we'll hear what Bob Moriarty has to say when he comes when we come back after the break. Don't go away. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Bob Moriarty with me once again. He's become a very frequent guest on this show uh, for good reason, because he is one of our most popular guests, and he is a very a very intelligent, very uh, insightful guest, and um, really a, a very a very unusual person, uh, and we're very honored to have him. Thanks for joining us again, Bob. Well, it's a real pleasure. It's really great to have you, and I know it's late in your day. You're in France. That's where you live now, southern France. Um, but I, So I'm doubly thankful that you're willing to uh, to spend this time with us. I'd just like to pass along Alistair McLeod's um, article last week. He, he wrote, it was titled, Inflation is Turning Hyper. Alistair wrote, and I quote, we can begin to anticipate the path to the to the destruction of purchasing power for all fiat currencies, not just those of Zimbabwe, Turkey, and Venezuela at all. A global hyperinflation is proving impossible to avoid, end of quote. But, Bob, the financial markets of the last few uh, weeks, anyway, are appearing to signal the opposite, deflation, not inflation. What, what are your thoughts? Well, he's absolutely correct. But and, and you're correct, okay, we're going to have both. We're going to have hyperinflation and deflation at the same time. Now, I sent you a piece, and it was talking about the German producer price index. Uh-huh. The PPI in Germany uh, for August was up 45.8% year over year. Now, that's not deflation, that's hyperinflation. The uh-huh. cost of electricity in France is up a thousand percent. The cost of electricity in Germany is up eight hundred sixty percent. However, it is correct to say that everything that was pumped up by the Fed pouring money into the system is going to deflate. Uh, we've had deflation in the stock market. We've had deflation in the bond market. We've had deflation in real estate. We've actually had deflation in gold and silver and, and resource stocks. So it's a very bizarre situation in, in which we're going to have hyperinflation combined with deflation at the same time. Yeah, it, it certainly um it certainly is. I mean, those are those are numbers to get your head around. The inflation, the cost of keeping warm in Germany this year, and uh, of course, that's all related to to a very great. Well, I think almost entirely related to the geopolitical uh, events that are unfolding in the Ukraine. Um, would you care to talk a little bit about that, Bob? Why are we there? What's going on? And and I just, I can't try help us make some sense of why. We are, you know, the United States and NATO is is doing what they're doing to Russia in order to, with such great cost to Europe, especially Germany, I guess maybe Italy is hurt very badly by it. Uh, a lot of the European countries are really being hurt really badly by these, uh, by the sanctions, essentially, and by Putin's, um, you know, by him not selling gas to to Europe. Okay, there's there's really two issues. And the mainstream media uh, is trying to confuse the two. And everything they say is Russia, 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 Putin, Putin, Putin. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's bullshit. Uh, The Europeans have taken this green energy stupidity to its ultimate. Uh, Literally, last week, 
Last Friday, Belgium shut down a nuclear plant that was perfectly serviceable, but they have uh, electricity that's hundreds of percent higher. So that is a self-inflicted wound. Now, in the UK and in France, 60% of consumers say they cannot afford anything beyond basic living expenses, and it's 64% Germany. Factories are being shut down all over Europe. Now, let's go to Ukraine. Uh, the United States sponsored an illegal coup d'etat in early 2014 because the government of Ukraine was proving friendly to Russia. Uh, they installed their own puppet. There's been an election since then. And Zelensky, interestingly enough, was elected on a plank of ending the conflict with Donbass and coming to terms with Russia. However, once he was elected, he did exactly the same. On, uh, let's see, February 16th of this year, uh, Zelensky started shelling Donbass, where the Ukrainians have killed 14,000 innocent civilians since 2014 because they didn't go along with the illegal coup d'etat. So uh, Zelensky started shelling Donbass. And then if you remember on the 16th or 17th of February, Biden said, we know Putin's going to invade Ukraine. But what Biden didn't say was Ukraine had massed 150,000 troops on the border with Donbass hmm. and were prepared to invade Donbass on the 8th of March. So Putin uh, preempted had a preemptive attack, and quite bluntly, he's been slaughtering the Ukrainians. Now, because Zelensky's stealing everything that he can, he keeps trying to get the West to, to send him weapons, which are ending up on the black market. But it, it's, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I wrote a piece on the 1st of March, and I said the sanctions were suicide for the EU, NATO, and the U.S. And now everybody's recognizing the sanctions for suicide. And then last night, the United States bombed uh, Nord Stream and Nord Stream 2, and they have been put out of action. That is the greatest act of terrorism in world history. And as bad as it's going to be in Europe this year, with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people starving or freezing or going bankrupt, next year it's going to be far worse. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, Bob, how do you know for sure that, um, that the United States blew up these pipelines? Because I can think. But I mean, you. But you must have some input. I mean, it's a, you're you're putting the obvious together. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. Okay, who benefits? Uh, who 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 benefits from this? Well, I would I would guess no one too much. I mean, the United States maybe if we want to sell uh, liquefied natural gas to Europe. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Rand 
Institute, which is part and parcel of the military-industrial complex, came out with a report a couple of years ago, and they identified Germany as a threat and said the United States needed to preemptively attack Germany to destroy their economy, and then the manufacturing would shift to the United States. Now, here's what's totally crazy. This all has to do with the election in five weeks. Now, we know Hunter Biden's laptop was real, and we know on Hunter Biden's laptop, there was information indicating that while he was vice president, Joe Biden was taking bribes from both the Ukrainians and the Chinese. Now, based (laughs) on the state of the economy in the United States, in a rational world, the Democrats would lose the election, the Republicans would take charge, and the very first thing they would do is impeach Joe Biden and send him to jail. Okay? We impeached uh, Trump because he made a phone call saying we look into the corruption. Now, something that most people don't understand because they pay attention to the mainstream media and they don't do any research, Ukraine was the most corrupt country in Europe. There were dozens and dozens of articles talking about the dangers of the right-wing Nazis in in Ukraine, and they're very real Nazis. They're not neo-Nazis. They're real Nazis. Uh, These people are monsters. And then as soon as the invasion took place, which the United States encouraged, and it's still encouraging, uh, Zelensky became St. Zelensky, and the United States, Switzerland, and Pope are now supporting Nazis. That That's crazy. You know, uh, Bob, you actually forwarded to me a report. I'm not sure where you're from the RAND, uh, from the RAND Corporation, which said exactly what you were saying, uh, in effect, that uh, they are very concerned that the Republicans might win the election and, uh, and, and um, impeach Biden. This is a concern of the Rand Corporation. They're 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 yeah. coming right out and saying it. Of course, they're they're, they're scared. Yeah. They're scared to death that Republicans could gain control of the House. Why are they yeah. so afraid? Well, because they're going to impeach Biden. And here's what happened: you you can go to YouTube and you can bring in uh, Victoria Newland. And yes. she literally was bragging about the United States spending five billion dollars to bring democracy to the most corrupt country in Europe. And I, I, I saw that. I thought, my God, $5 billion? Are they kidding? And, of course, that was a giant money laundering scheme that Joe Biden was part and parcel of and Nancy Pelosi was part and parcel of. Uh, the, the political administration in the United States, and I'm not criticizing just the Democrats, I'm criticizing all of those crooks. We're the most corrupt we have ever been in U.S. history. The FBI has been politicized. The DOJ has been politicized. CIA has been politicized. And they're pulling things on a daily basis that have never happened in U.S. history. And I hate to say it, but it's going to blow up in our face. It's not going to be pleasant when it blows up, that's for sure. The FBI, of course, has hidden and kept under wraps 
the the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, and of course, um, you know, all the major media, uh, except for the New York Post, uh, suppressed the story before the elections to make sure that Trump wasn't reelected. So, this is uh, this is very concerning. Obviously, it's not the country that our founding fathers. Uh, had in mind for us. Uh, this wasn't supposed to go this way, but this is what's happening, it seems. Um, so where we stand now, Bob, uh, financially here, I mean, looking at these markets, um, I was just, just looking at this morning, I was reading, um, oh, a uh, well-known fellow on, on CNBC, his name uh, escapes my memory right now, but he was talking about, keep an eye this afternoon on the markets, watch uh, the ten-year Treasury, because you know it's it's threatening, uh, it's it's threatening four percent right now on the ten-year, um, and and the dollar has been extremely strong relative to you know to the other currencies the, to the in the index, uh, strong dollar, and you know as Michael Oliver was saying a little while ago that he thinks this is a big problem not just for developing countries but for major countries like the UK and others. This dollar that's gone up so much in value, I mean, the euro is below parity now. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of what we might be looking for in the markets in the next next well, number of days? Uh, last week, the British pound dropped three cents in one day. I'm mm. 76. I've never heard of that. I've never read about it, and it never occurred to me it could be true. Uh Anyone who has borrowed money in U.S. dollars, and that's domestically and abroad, that is a synthetic short on the dollar. And that's what's forcing the dollar up. And quite bluntly, you know, people who borrowed money in the U.K. when the pound was $1.25 and it's one oh seven now, yeah. these guys have suffered a 20% loss in the currency plus inflation. The world's financial system, the debt-based system, is blowing up. There is no fixing it. Everything, these metal midgets that are running every country in the West, everything they're doing is exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. We are run by blithering idiots. And strangely enough, Putin's one of the very few people who understand the debt-based system is finished and we need to go back to a new currency based on resources and, and real production. Yeah, of course, getting from here to there, uh, it's going to be chaotic, to say the least, Bob. Uh, it's not only going to be chaotic. I, I'd been predicting there would be revolutions in Europe, literally, in the next two, three months. And I'm just like going to tell you, the world is going to be on fire next year. Uh, the United States attacking Nord Stream, it, it's just beyond my wildest imagination. I never thought anyone could be that stupid. And, and literally, uh, Joe Biden was bragging about it in February. He was bragging about, about what? He said he was going to destroy Nord Stream. Oh, he did say that. That's right. Yeah, I sort of recall yeah. that. Yeah. Video of him. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, very unnerving, no doubt about it. Alistair's latest uh, piece last Thursday: Gold has never been so attractive. Um, I guess uh, I guess that would seem to be the case. Where are you going to hide? You can't go to Treasuries. Where are you going to put your money now? But in the meantime, all kinds of other issues uh, could make 
you know, it all seemed irrelevant. This is a bad time to be in debt and a good time to be in resources. Right. It looks that way, for sure. Uh, starting with gold, of course, because it is, uh, it's held its own against oil. It doesn't, you know, if you look at the price of oil relative to gold, it's hardly moved uh, since 1971. We have to leave it go at that, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. Always great to have you with us. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, I'm going to be, I'm going to have Adam Taggart is uh, scheduled to be my guest. He is the founder of Wealthion, a YouTube channel, which I would highly recommend you watch uh, if you have a chance. Uh, also next week, uh, Cherry Leiden. She is the president of a new sponsor to this show, Gold Bull Resources, will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 